I know that we've been plugging it a lot today, but I'm going to mention it one more time. This is the church directory form. This is ours filled out with my handwriting, so it looks like a kindergartner did it. But uh, it's just ask for your name, phone numbers, children's name if you have them. Here's a hint. If you don't have children, don't put names down. Uh, email addresses, your street address. If you will give us some of that information, if you'll give us all that information, we would at least like to have an email address and phone number. Because i got to tell you guys, there's nothing worse than finding out that a church member, and to me, a family member is sick or ill or has had something happen and you want to reach out and then you realize you have no way to do so. And so we're trying to make sure that communication it becomes a strong point in our church. And so if you'll fill out that registration form, we would greatly appreciate it. I promise you we're not going to start sending you mail uh, we won't send your information to one of those companies that sends you like all the postcards. It's like, you know, we can save your life if you, all I'm saying is we're not selling your information, but when you're done, if you'll put it over, there is a black tray that got put over there on the connection table. Once you filled that out, if you'll put that in there and then once we compile all these, we'll put a directory together and be able to have copies out there for anybody who wants one. And hopefully everybody wants one. But like I said, that's important to us to be able to uh, connect with you in times where we either A, want to or B, feel like we need to. And so uh, we hope that you'll do that for us. Now, we are finishing our series today in Haggai. Uh, we managed to get five weeks out of Haggai. It's only two chapters long, but there's a lot of good stuff in there. There's parts of it that definitely feel repetitive, but there's a very important message in Haggai that we have been trying to hammer home and that Haggai himself was trying to hammer home through the message of the Lord. Next week, we'll start a new series in 1 John. Uh, I'm excited about that as well. Uh, and I think that that will be really good for us. But like I said, we're going to finish in Haggai. We're going to be in chapter two today. The verses that we are mainly covering is 15 through 19. If you want to follow along in the Bible app, or if you have one of those old school things, that's called a, a, a book that has, you know, covers and pages. You can also follow along in that. Every scripture will be up on the screen behind us. So feel free to follow along there as well. Now think before you speak. Think before you speak. This may shock all of you, but that is advice that I have received a lot through my life. Especially in my teenage years, there were times where I heard it multiple times a day from my mother because uh, I have this thing, it's a condition called no filter. And typically, whatever I think just comes out. And as you might imagine, that can get you in some pretty serious trouble. Uh, and I spent a lot of my time in trouble. And so, Think before you speak. Now, it wasn't just my teenage years. I have been given this advice in the workplace. I know I probably shouldn't share. I've been given this advice at home uh, from my wife at times. I've been given this advice in regards to social media. There's a reason I pretty much only post about the chiefs or church stuff because there have been times where I thought, you know what the world needs right now is my opinion on this matter. And then I share it and People get mad at me, right? And so I'm like, well, maybe I shouldn't talk about political issues as a pastor of a church. Probably a great idea. So I've had somebody say to me a couple times before, hey, you probably, as the pastor, shouldn't be doing that. And I thought, you know what? That's great advice. It really is solid advice to think before you speak. Don't just say things. For some of you, if you're like me, it is a real weakness. Well, God in Haggai gives similar advice to the remnant right, to the Israelites that were remaining in Haggai. Five times in the book, he tells them to consider their ways or something along uh, that, that line of thought, right? Consider their ways. It, in this case, it's not think before you speak, it's think before you act. Equally as important advice, thought 
it would seem, is a critical part of decision-making. I know that that may kind of blow your mind a little bit, but thinking is actually really important when you're having to make decisions that affect your life. Specifically, what we think about when we have to make a decision is the most important. And I would say that our thought always needs to be with every decision that we can make, is this God's will? Is this God's will? How do we find that out? We've been saying that a lot this year, but how do we find out if something's God's will? Well, first and foremost, prayer. I think prayer is a really key, important part of our decision-making. I think consulting the word. I think sometimes scripture will tell you exactly things you should do and exactly things you shouldn't. And so if you're thinking about making a decision that in your mind says this doesn't exactly line up with scripture, you would maybe turn the other way, right? Sometimes uh, it takes logic. God gives us brains for a reason. I believe that he gives us free will as well. We need to put thought into our decisions and weigh the goods with the bads and all those things. It's this collective process of involving God, seeking out his will, trying to make sure that we listen, being prayerful and paying attention when doors are closed. Because sometimes doors will close on us and we think, oh, it was just this door. Maybe I'll go around a different way, right? Like maybe I'll find an open window if I just go to the side of the house. And so... Is this the will of God? That's a thought that needs to be in our minds as we make decisions in life. Haggai chapter 2 verses 15 through 17 say, Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight mildew and hail yet you did not return to me declares the lord i think one of the things that we learn in this passage that's really important is that our memories are really powerful tools really powerful tools when things are good or when things are bad it's important that we use our memories to keep us where we should be or to return us to where we should go what do I mean by that? Well, I can tell you very distinctly that in my life, I have lived two distinct ways, right? I have lived as if God did not exist, as if my decisions really didn't matter, as if they wouldn't really impact the world around me or my future. And I have lived as if God very much is real, does exist, and my decisions carry weight not only for my future, but for the future of those around me. Okay, I've lived those two ways. And I will just tell you, I have been decidedly more happy in my life, not saying that my circumstances have been better, but that just I personally have been more happy when I have lived my life as if God exists. And the fact of the matter is that for all of us, we know what it's like to be really in tune with God. And we know what it's like to be really far away from God. And the even more sometimes uncomfortable truth is that the majority of our life is spent somewhere in the middle, Right? A lot of times we're never like the farthest we've ever been from God, but we have a hard time getting to the point where we are, feel like we are the closest we've ever been to God. And we find ourselves somewhere in this middle, kind of bouncing back and forth a little bit, hopefully trending towards closeness to God. But we, we know what that's like. And so when we find ourselves moving the opposite way, when we find ourselves moving towards falling away from God, when we find ourselves feeling like things just aren't simpatico, like things aren't in the order that they should be. We need to use our memories to remember back to the times where we were close to God and what that looked like for us. 
I know that I feel closer to God when I'm in my Bible every day. I know that I feel closer to God when I am praying every day. I know that I feel closer to God when I'm thinking before I speak. I know I feel closer to God when I'm putting others before myself. And so times where I feel like, man, I just do not feel God's presence right now. I do not feel close to God. What is happening? I think back to, okay, let's just kind of do a quick inventory check. Where am I? Have I been in my word? Am I praying? Am I being selfish? Where's my focus? And I find that a healthy tool to be able to kind of redirect my course. You see, God is asking the remnant here to consider their ways, consider the way things were before the temple was built, right? When there was just a foundation. The people, as you remember from week one, hopefully, were focused on their paneled homes, right? And God kind of drew that comparison. So you live in these paneled homes. And we talked about how for that day and age, it's kind of luxury housing. Like everything was put together. They lived in these really nice homes. Meanwhile, all God had was a foundation, right? And so they were focused on their paneled homes rather than God's temple. But the biggest issue wasn't the houses. It wasn't the houses. It was that God wasn't one of their priorities. God was not one of their priorities. And in that time when God was not a priority or when they had other priorities placed in front of him, their endeavors were unsuccessful and they were fruitless. And so we see this shift in this passage where the people are moving from being fruitless to a promise of becoming an overflowing people, right? And we'll get there, we'll get there. But one thing I do know is that God is a required element of peace. And when I talk about peace, I'm talking about equilibrium. I'm talking about being in line with God's will. I'm talking about that understanding that we feel, that peace that we feel when we know that we are living accord, according to what God wants from us. If we look at Psalm 1611, I love this verse. It says, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So often we claim that we don't know which way that we should go, which decision we should make. But God has laid out a path for each and every one of our lives. And yes, I believe for each and every one of us, there is a specific purpose. There is a specific path. But there are also broad strokes that lead us all in a right direction. It's why Christ gave us his revelation and why God gave us his revelation of the word, right? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word was God. So if you want to know God, you must know the word, right? And so all of those things combined help lead us to the path, but God makes our paths known. And when we find ourselves on the path laid out for us, what we experience is the fullness of joy, the fullness of joy. Here's the difference between joy and happiness. Okay. At least for me, this is what I think I should say. Happiness is a feeling, right? We feel happy very often. I think you can feel happy at different parts of the day. 
You feel happiness maybe when you hear a funny joke. Uh, you feel happiness when your team wins a football game. You feel happiness when your wife makes that thing for dinner that you wanted. Or when she says you can go out to eat. Or when she doesn't yell at you too much for spending a whole lot of money. <laughs> uh, just kidding. Um, right? You feel happiness for all different sorts of reasons. Joy. Joy is happiness accompanied by the Lord's peace. Joy is being able to feel happiness even in the worst of circumstances. Joy is the ability to say, even though things really suck right now. No, that's probably not a word you're used to hearing from the pulpit. But even though things really suck right now, there are still things that I can be appreciative of. There are still things that I can find happiness in. And that comes with knowing the Lord and with being on the Lord's path. Psalm 1611 again, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. David, David wrote these words in the middle of hiding from the king's army who was seeking to take his life. And yet he spoke of the peace and the joy and the pleasures that were to come knowing that he was living according to the will of God because he recognized a really valuable truth that joy is not an earthly condition. It's a godly one. Joy is a godly one. And once you've been in the presence of the brightest light, everything else seems dim in comparison. Everything else seems dim in comparison. You see, I tell people, all the time, new Christians or just people who have been in the walk for a while, I tell them, hey, you need to be really careful before you commit yourself fully to the Lord. And they always give me a weird look. Because when you're there, when you are fully connected to the Lord God, when you fall away from that, everything else just seems a little bit more dim. Everything else just isn't as bright because you have been in the epitome of light. And how can anything else match it? It just can't. So I, I tell people all the time, hey, you got to be careful when you commit yourself to the Lord because you're now going to know what it's like to not be there. You're now going to know what it's like to not be there. And you won't have the same peace and you won't experience the same joy when you're not with God. So when things don't seem right, when things don't seem right, the first thing you should do is seek the presence of the Lord. And the Israelites in captivity who were receiving the word from Haggai had forgotten that. And that is why the temple had not been built. And so Haggai responds to them after they finally came around. After they finally came around and he just says, consider your ways. I like the literal translation because the literal translation is lay it to the heart. Lay it to the heart. Consider it with your innermost being. Are you where you should be? And if not, what is it that you can do 
to fix it. You see, riding the ship requires introspection and honesty. Where are we really? Not where we want to be. And I'm not talking about not giving yourself grace because I think that that is important as well. But where are you really with the Lord? And where are you lacking? And what needs improvement? When we can answer this question, it is the first step to being able to point our ship in the right direction. Continuing in our passage today in verses 18 and 19, chapter two of Haggai, it says, from this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. I find so much importance in the words from this day on. It's a reminder of God's promise to bless those that devote themselves to him, but it's also a reminder of God's willingness to forgive. It's a foreshadowing to me of Jesus' words that he so often uttered to people after he met them and spoke with them or after he healed them to go and sin no more. From this day on. You see, God is not interested in your past wrongs. I know that seems shocking, but God is not interested in your past wrongs once you seek forgiveness for them, once you admit to them, and once you confess them as your Lord and Savior. Christ, God, the Holy Spirit, they are not concerned with your past wrongs. If that if your past wrongs are still influencing your day-to-day life and you have given them over to the Lord, the only one that's still holding on to them is you. You're the only one. Because God has washed those things away through the blood of Christ. He would rather, He would rather us recognize, correct, and move forward. And when you've done that, It's important that you let it go as well. I think so often we find ourselves making repetitive mistakes. And if you know the story of the Israelites, they continued to repeat the same mistake. They would fall out of the will of God. They would be thrown into captivity or they would wander the desert for 40 years. Eventually they would get right with the Lord. Things would be going for a while. They'd get fat and happy and then they'd fall away from the Lord and they'd find themselves in captivity again. And it's just like this vicious cycle. And I can't speak for them, but I know for me that when I find myself struggling with past sins, It's when I have focused heavily and continue to focus heavily on my past mistakes. And I think sometimes we commit those mistakes, those past sins, because we are the ones that are still holding on to them. And if something controls enough of your thought life, eventually it's going to come out in your actions. And I don't think there's any way around it. And so I don't know what your struggles are. I look around this room and I know that people have struggles. You know, I've been very open that I have struggles. I am, hey, of all sinners, I'm the worst. Like I can echo Paul's words, right? Of all sinners, I'm the the worst of them all. And yet here I am. Yet here I am. So I don't know what your struggles are. 
And I don't know what it is that you're holding on to, what you're not forgiving yourself for, what you're not allowing yourself to move beyond. But whatever wedge, because that's what it is, it is a wedge standing between you and God. Whatever wedge is there, from this day on, I tell you to move past it. Give it to the Lord, let it go, and walk forward. That is a gift that God wants to give to you. It is a blessing that he wants to bestow to you. Understand that from this day on, God's desire, if he could choose, would be to only bless you. You need to know that about God. It's not saying that sometimes our actions don't incur wrath. It's not to say that sometimes we don't have to face consequences. It's just to say that if God had it his way, if it was left completely up to him, He would only bless you. But darn that creator of the world. He gave you the power to make your own decisions. So sometimes we experience other things. But what I need you to know is that the the potential for God's blessing is always present. The potential for God's blessing is always present. I'm going to reread verse 18 because there's something there that we sometimes miss. Verse 18, it says, give careful thought to the day when the foundation was laid, right? So if you remember, we talked about how the foundation was laid. And then like 16 years later, they started the construction of the temple. He's asking, think back to the day when you laid the foundation of the temple. This blessing that you're receiving now for obeying the will of the father, it was there then. You could have had this years ago. You could have absolutely experienced this years ago, but you didn't. You didn't. It's a reminder to the people. I think it should be a reminder to us to remember that what is and what isn't largely rests on our decision-making. It largely rests on the decisions that you and I make. So often we ask for God's blessing. We just want that blessing to happen. We're not really too focused about changing the way we're living our life or reversing course or looking at our decisions. We just want that blessing to occur. But we do play a part. We absolutely play a part. What is and what isn't largely rests on decision-making. And for the remnant, that was so true because the day the foundation was made, that blessing was available, but they gave it away. In the end, the people only had themselves to blame for being in captivity. They were to be blamed for the cursed crops and the lack of wine, but they too were the key to overcoming the curse. They too were the key. When we give the Lord what he desires from us, I firmly believe that he gives us more than we could ever desire. Oftentimes in ways that we never would have thought to ask. There is peace to be had. There is blessing to be had, but there is God's will to be obeyed. May your desires and God's desires be one in the same. Let's pray.
God, as the band makes their way up to the stage, Lord, I just pray that you would be with each and every one of us, that you would be with our decision-making, that you would allow us to be honest with ourselves about where we currently stand with you and about the things that maybe we need to give up or maybe even the things that we don't need to give up, but we just need to put second place behind you. God, may you be our number one priority and may anything that is in front of you be either disregarded or moved to its rightful place. In the end, the opportunity for blessing is always there. You are the one that controls it. It comes down to the decisions that we make. God, I pray that you would help us to make godly decisions. That you would help us to use our memories as a tool to remind us where it is that we need to go and how it is that we can get there. So often, Lord, we treat you like a genie. We just throw wishes at you, hoping that you'll grant them. And we do that without any regard to how we're living our lives. And we do that so often without any regard to whether or not we are in the will of our Father. God, I pray that you change that in us if we struggle with it. And then lastly, Lord, I ask that you help people to just identify areas that need correction, to make correction, and then to move forward. Help us to leave the sins and the struggles of the past in the past. Help us to be confident in your love and in your forgiveness, and in your blessing. We ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. If you need to pray with somebody, I would love to pray with you. It is actually my favorite part of being a pastor, is praying with folks. So uh, if you need to pray, please come pray with me. If you don't want to pray with me, I won't be too offended. Please come use our stage as an altar. Uh, grab somebody in the crowd to pray with you. Allie's going to be over here, uh, kind of by the bar underneath the TV. If you would like, if you'd rather pray with a woman, she would love to pray with you. Um, I don't really have anybody else, so it's me or it's Allie. But a couple things. You need prayer, pray. If you need to talk about salvation, that's the best decision you could ever make. I say it every week. You need Jesus, and Jesus wants you. So if you find yourself not being in that position where you can confidently say, God is my Savior, the Lord is my Savior, Jesus, then let's talk. If you're interested in becoming a member of our church, let's talk after. Let's talk after. Right now, what we want, stand, worship, pray, turn your focus to the Lord.